0: Welcome to Lake is Live. It is Sunday night, May 1st, brand new month, but some of the same issues around our troubled sport. We are going to issue a nice, healthy dose of medicine for our troubled college football world. Tonight, we are jam-packed, high atop a congested downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I want you to listen to me. It may seem bad. Not the traffic. The traffic's just horrendous. College football right now, it may seem like things are bad. I'm not going to tell you they aren't. I'm just going to tell you it's going to be okay. I have some things to say to you tonight. I wanna put your mind at ease, but also recognize we still got some problems. College football's not gonna end tomorrow, but we have some things to deal with. Buckle in, this will not be a show for the fan of heart. I have no clue how long we're gonna go, but we have a whole lot going on in this first day of May. We've got a new Kirby Smart out there. Did you know that? It's not the guy in Athens anymore. In fact, he died figuratively. I wanna stress figuratively. Uh, Old Kirby's out of here. We got new Kirby, and new Kirby's a lot more boring to talk about because he just wins all the time but don't worry. I got a place for all of you with all those old labels you used to put on his forehead. I got a new place for you to put them. Don't worry about that. Uh, 2022 boldness. Got a lot of it. Part four, I think, yeah? Jesse, part four tonight. All that plus a very, dare I say, saucy Q&A coming up. They're watching us in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. They're tuned in in Aurora, Missouri, Chandler, Oklahoma, Newcastle, England. Speaking of Oklahoma, I'm flying there first thing in the morning. We have got what we expect to be a pretty major tornado outbreak in northern Oklahoma and southern Kansas tomorrow, so who knows? May show up in Norman, may show up in Wichita, Pawnee, Oklahoma. Not in Indiana. It's actually in Oklahoma. Who knows where we're going tomorrow, but tonight I know where we're going. And we got to dive deep on several things that are pressing in nature. So like I said, strap in. It's not the end of the world, but we do have some things to tend to here. You may have thought I was going to lead the show with NIL. But I'm not doing that because everyone else is doing that and also I got a little different take on this whole nil tampering transfer portal thing than most so I'm going to get to that in like 10 minutes I want to talk to you about something else it's right in front of your face okay so Colin here's your endpoint. point it let's see today's May 1st 2022 as we're on live what a year it's already been though did you know that we've had a college football coach disappear quite literally and I'm not talking about the FCS nature either a major d1 SEC head football coach has just up and disappeared. You may be thinking to yourself, I know it's been a busy news cycle, but how did I miss this? How did a guy just disappear? Well, his name was Kirby Smart, and he was the head coach at Georgia, and I'm really not playing games with you. If you get figurative with me for a second, I want to ask you, how old are you? You don't have to pull out the birth certificate, but I got to speak for myself personally. I'm old enough to remember the Kirby Smart that couldn't develop talent. But then I just watched the NFL draft where they set all kinds of records. I'm old enough to remember the Kirby that could get you maybe in the latter portion of the draft, but he's not gonna maximize your talent. And then I watched him put like five guys not named N'Kobe Dean in the first round of the draft. I'm old enough to remember when Kirby couldn't beat Nick Saban. And I'm certainly old enough to remember when Kirby Smart couldn't win the big one. Then I look back in January, Indianapolis, Indiana, 33 18 final, the opponent that night en route to a national championship, Nick Saban old Kirby died. I don't know how else to put it to you, but the labels live on. And if I know you guys like I think I do, you're not tossing them in the garbage. You just need a new place to put the labels. So where do we find this individual? This individual that is accumulating a lot of talent, but maybe not quite achieving at the level you want him to and hasn't put a national championship on the board at his current university. Where are we finding this guy? We're finding him in College Station, Texas. Jimbo Fisher is your new Kirby Smart. And this is coming by way of a lot of irrational opinion, to be honest, in my opinion, at least, that people have on this sport. Anyone of sound mind should be able to look at Jimbo Fisher and understand their programs on a very nice, solid, upward trajectory. I think that is reasonable. But then again, I also thought it was reasonable with Kirby. I thought it was reasonable to look out there and see how many kids they were bringing in via recruiting, and how year over year I thought the talent level was increasing. I thought the productivity level was increasing. I thought the comparisons between him and Mark Richt were asinine because there were two totally different SECs that they had been competing in. Likewise with Jimbo Fisher, the program he inherited versus the program Texas A&M is today, night and day difference. Anyone who's around the program or who has watched them with unbiased eyes sees that. But what does he not have? Well, he doesn't have a 10 win, 11 win season over there yet. He doesn't have a national championship in College Station, at least. Uh, He doesn't have a litany of first round draft picks. And so you're going to hear it. I'm telling you, even though you may think it's irrational or maybe you're going to be participating, you're going to have a whole lot of people telling you, that guy can't win more than eight games. Who cares about all these five-star recruits? He can't send a bunch of guys to the first round of the NFL draft. He can't Can't develop at the quarterback position. Look at those quarterbacks out there at Texas A&M. They're not anything to write home about. He certainly can't win the big one, win a national championship. Now, you could, in all fairness, walk up to that crew, get kind of in close because you don't want to embarrass him and you want to whisper to him, you know, he did win a national championship during an undefeated season with a guy at quarterback who ended up going number one overall in the draft in 2013. It's less than a decade ago. You guys know that, right? Doesn't matter. To the label crowd it won't matter because they've already plastered it on his forehead first off and secondly i don't know when it happened but i've been informed by reliable sources that some reset button was hit in college football somewhere between 2013 and present day to where what Jimbo fisher accomplished at florida state really doesn't matter it was just a byproduct of a soft conference or all the stars just aligned. And if he had had to play that Alabama team in 2013, instead of that Auburn team, it would have been different. You know, a million excuses and no one ever worries about excuses for uh, the parts of the argument that they're trying to prop up. But my point here is, it's ridiculous. It always was ridiculous with Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart didn't become a great coach three or four months ago. He was a great coach long before that. Nothing changed about him. We've we've gone over this many times on this show, so I'm not going to waste time doing it again. Kirby Smart Already possessed capability in January to win a national championship, but he also possessed it last year, and the year before, and the year before that, they were in overtime of a title game in 2017. Like fractions of an inch or two here and there, and a bounce of a ball kept him from winning it then. And he's been acquiring talent, and they've been really good already in Texas A&M. They're really good already. It's just that maybe the lift was a little bit heavier when Jumbo Fisher first walked in the door, but now that he has embraced probably about as seamlessly as anyone the changing landscape of college football, they're legit. I feel the same way about Jimbo Fisher now that I did about Kirby Smart three or four years ago. I was never on that train of, well, yeah, Kirby's good, but there was really no but. Like, the only but was ridiculous because it was comparing him to the best of all time, who was decades into his head coaching career, being Nick Saban, of course. And meanwhile, Kirby Smart is brand new at this thing, coaching at his alma mater, And his alma mater is not Georgia State, it's Georgia. So he's in the brightest of white hot spotlights that this sport has to offer. And he he never really stumbled. Like, the first year, they have what they have record-wise. Saban also barely made a bowl game his first year at Bama. But look at the draft picks by year. If you're listening on podcast, it goes from 1 in 2017 to 15 in 2022. And it was pretty linear. It went up. In fact, it was absolutely linear from 1 to 6 to 7 to 7 to 9 to 15. The same thing's gonna happen with Jimbo at Texas A&M. It may not always be linear because he's in a more rugged division than Kirby Smart is, and so it may be that one year you have 11 wins, next year you have nine wins. My point is, he's a really good coach. That's a really good program. You're gonna see a lot of foolishness thrown his way. You probably won't hear much of it on this show. Now, here's what I didn't say. Colin, you can cut this part out. I didn't say you won't hear foolishness on this show. I just said it probably won't pertain to Jimbo Fisher a whole lot. So let me give you a little story. The other night, Friday night, producer Jesse and I, we make our way to Smyrna, Tennessee, and we played a doubleheader softball. Week two. The young team is 500 on the season, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, thanks in large part to the defensive heroics of producer Jesse the other night. That's the good news. The bad news is Jesse looked like one of the guys who didn't make it in saving Private Ryan by the time he left. His leg looked like hamburger meat. He had seam marks all over his legs and arms, too. And so he just, looked like, he just looked like he had been exposed to a lot more than a church league softball game. I really don't think that's that bad of news because I think it built character within him. But here is the second part, which is also good news. Everything Jesse needs from this point moving forward can be found at Academy. He wore shorts out there the other night horrible idea. There was a close play at the plate. Jesse, competitor, slides, no leg left to speak of. He needs pants. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they got him. Jesse, I think he probably brought a glove out there that was given away to the first 500 fans at a Pirates game one year. He needs a new glove. Academy Sports and Outdoors has got him taken care of. I think a rival competitor just briefly took us off the air, but don't worry, we're back. It takes a lot more than that to stop an Academy Sports and Outdoors ad read. Now, if you're in a location in this country or beyond that you can't have direct access to Academy sports and outdoors, but maybe you need equipment too. Perhaps you're in your own softball league. Perhaps you just want to go biking and really couldn't care less about the round ball or land sports as Jesse calls them of any kind. Academy.com has your hookup. In fact, I've got a notification on my iJosh right now about a package that has been sitting in the mailbox for two days that I need to pick up and it's from Academy and it's not a mini tent either. It's actual stuff that I purchased from them. Academy Sports and Outdoors makes this show possible and so thank them by buying the stuff from them that you're already going to buy anyway. Academy Sports and Outdoors, we as always sincerely appreciate them. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. They're watching us in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which I believe was the home of Jadavion Clowney. East L.A., down in SoCal, they're watching us there, too. And that brings me to my next point on this program this fine May 1st evening. What do you think about the current state of college football? There have been a lot of words that have been thrown around recently, you know. There've been a lot of harsh allegations that I don't think a lot of you could prove if pressed in a court of law. But because you read it on Twitter somewhere, it's got to be true. So... I'm not saying that it's not an ugly scene out there right now. What I'm saying is, you may hear me talk in a more measured approach over the next few minutes. I want to dive into the issues that are facing the sport right now, but I don't just want to scream into a megaphone, someone's got to fix something, and then drop the megaphone and walk away. Got to do a little bit better than that. We hold ourselves to a little bit higher standard on this show. So let's dive in. Let's talk about it. If there's one question that's the most popular question I have been asked over the past two or three months, it has been, give me some advice on how to still enjoy this sport I love, the sport of college football, if I hate what's happening with the transfer portal and with NIL and with tampering and with all that stuff. Well, here's my approach, cause I'm having to do the same thing. Thousands of you, if I know you like I think I do, are probably gonna eat some bacon tomorrow morning or at least at some point this week. I know good and well you don't want to know the story of how that bacon got to your table. I know good and well you don't want to know the story between the time that Farmer Collins said, come here, pig, to the time that plate got put in front of you on your table. A lot of horrible stuff happened there. You don't really want to know that part of the story, and that's fine. I don't either. It's still crispy. It's still delicious, and it's still there for us when we need it. College football can be the same way for you. You don't have to approve of or even like what's going on in NIL or the transfer portal right now. But in the immediate future, that sport's still going to be there for you in the fall, and it's still going to look the same as it always has. Now, that is my glass half full approach to trying to ease some of your concerns, because some of you have been five alarm freaked out. I've been reading DMs by the hundreds about everything from what's going to happen to, am I just going to walk away from the sport to suck it up and deal with it? It's a new reality. Everything under the sun in terms of opinion on this has been thrown out there. Well, Forget about the short term for a second because the long-term reality is we got some issues that we got to take care of here. And I say we, and I'm kind of talking about people who have much more of a vested interest in this. You could call them stakeholders over shareholders, but those of us who really love the sport, you know, I think we've learned if we've learned anything lately, it's that you can't just sit around and wait for someone to take the reins in college football because far too often, no one Has their hands on the old proverbial wheel of the bus as we talked about the other day so here's what i want to ask you a lot of disagreement out there about the nil and transfer portal i'm asking you does anyone actually know what we're disagreeing on has anyone stopped to listen at what the disagreement is because i swear to you if i hear one more time someone who is allegedly pro nil and pro players rights Alleged that someone else is anti-NIL and anti-players' rights, even though that person has not a single time said, I don't want those kids to make any money. I may tear all 14 of my remaining hairs out. It's ridiculous. It's like a couple disagreeing on the color of the mailbox they want outside the home. And then they just keep screaming louder and louder at each other. And then all of a sudden, one of them says, do we even want to build this house? And then the other one yells back, do we even want to be together? It's a color of a mailbox. There's a lot of common ground here you don't really need to go all the way to the depths of i don't want to say the bad place on the show you don't have to do that you can just disagree on the stuff you actually disagree on in college football right now you got two camps of people that are screaming and yelling at each other and unbeknownst to them they have massive common ground like right now if i were to put out a poll and i were to ask no context further just tell me your take on this do you think tampering should be allowed in college football? Do you think if a kid is on scholarship on your roster that other coaches should just be free to call him whenever they want to, even though he's not in the portal yet? 98% of you would say, no, I don't think that should be legal. And I would be among you. sounds like there's a pretty mass consensus on that. If I were to then ask the same focus group, okay, what about NIL? Do you think that this should be wild, wild west, and there's no parameters whatsoever, there are no guidelines, there are no rules, just whatever, whenever, however. I would say the number would probably be 90% plus if you would say, I don't like that either. I don't think that sounds like that's what's best for the sport either. There's a lot of common ground. A lot of us are screaming at each other, and in reality, you look around and say, 90%, huh? 95 plus percent, huh? So what are we actually disagreeing on? Well, what we're disagreeing on is probably far more nuanced in context than you think it is and number two it's really what are the problems that we actually disagree on what are the answers Uh, what can be done who is calling me while they know i'm on air let's go see who that was spam don't like her what can be done and then here's the most important question of all who's actually capable of doing those things that need to be done notice the pause there because that's the answer that we really haven't had as of late you know my take on this I have told you repeatedly and I'll continue to tell you, forget the NCAA, forget about them, should have forgotten about them a long time ago, forget about them, conference commissioners, television executives, those are the folks and some of the smartest legal minds in the room, they gotta take control of it. They gotta come up with ideas that believe it or not, some guy sitting behind a microphone in downtown Nashville, Tennessee may not be equipped to come up with. It's like, I can tell you there's a problem, I may not have the solution for you. I got some ideas, but this is not my area of expertise. I love college football. I'm not, I'm not ready to walk into a courtroom tomorrow and litigate this sort of thing. But there are people who have that responsibility, and there are people who have that capability. Now that we're talking about it, let's talk about some of these allegations that have been thrown around this week. A lot of you, have, as I said, have been in my DMs about this. It's not that we're blind to it. It's not that I'm trying to skate around it. I know what the allegations are, so let's just talk about it. In fact, Jesse, I think we have a tweet that will serve to represent thousands of you who asked this, from Cutter, no less. The question was from Ryan, and he said, Do you think there will be any fallout for Lincoln Riley and his staff about this whole tampering situation? As an add-on, as commissioner, how would you deal with tampering? Save that second part for a rainy day. Let's address the first part. What proof do we have of that? I know that there are allegations. Trust me, I've heard them. I know it seems very suspicious. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, Jordan Addison won the Bolitnikoff Award last year. So the top receiver in the country at Pitt, uh, there have been strong indications that he may be entering the transfer portal and there may be a sizable NIL offer on the table from him. And naturally, because he was not yet in the portal when those rumors surfaced and USC was the school that he was most readily linked to, it's got to be tampering. Maybe it is, maybe it is, and I'm telling you as of this very moment on this show, I haven't uncovered that evidence, so I'm not gonna quite go that far, but I do wanna offer a piece of advice. There are gonna be a lot of these allegations flying around. A lot of folks using that T word, tampering, a lot of folks talking about Lincoln Riley right now. It's okay if you disagree with the practice of tampering. You've got a friend in me, I disagree with it too. That's not my advice to you. My advice is wholeheartedly be anti-tampering, Just be very careful putting one particular face on that issue. Because while today it may be that you think Lincoln Riley is the face of all that is evil about college football, be careful making these public statements, especially you more high-profile figures out there. Be careful with these public statements and attaching names to these statements. Because while today it may be that guy that you got to march on with a torch and a pitchfork, tomorrow it could be your guy. That the allegations are thrown at. And knowing what I do know about what's happening behind the scenes right now, it may very well be your guy. I'm kind of speaking indiscriminately here. There's a lot of it going on. Whole lot of it going on. It's a problem. It's a big problem. Just be careful making one guy the devil, because you got a whole lot of stuff happening out there. Whole lot of it that that you would really, really not like to be privy to. But since we do acknowledge, most of us at least, that we do have an issue, how are we going to solve this? it's not going to be easy. There's not one tweet. It doesn't fit in a certain amount of characters, Uh, but there are going to have to be a lot of characters who walk in the room and step up and maybe even make themselves unpopular for a time. Um, We'll do our small part here, but all we can really do is talk. I don't have the power, at least yet, I don't have the power to actually enforce change in this sport. But college football has made a lot of people rich over the years, hasn't it? Now, the key pushback in the entire NIL front has been, yeah, it's made a lot of people rich. Only folks that didn't make money off of it were the players. I hear you, I've heard you for quite a while on that front. You've never heard me disagree with that. But as we watch some of these folks take up the righteous cause of NIL and players' rights as they see it, I view it through a little bit different spectrum, you need to be careful, because yeah, there's been a lot of money generated by this sport in the past, don't just assume it always continues. Now, what do I mean by that? Football's a constant in our society. Well, it has been in, in your lifetime and my lifetime, yet certainly has been. But you need to understand something. What gives you value as a star quarterback or as a head coach, I'm talking not just to players, I'm talking to everyone who has benefited. And you're looking at a guy right now who has financially benefited from college football being what it is. You need to be very careful because it wasn't your hard work and talent that made you all that money it was massive national interest in what it is, if you're a player and coach, you happen to do for a living or the game you happen to play for a living. Talent and hard work weren't what got you there at all. If it was, the tennis player on campus would make the same amount you do. The golf team would make the same amount you do. I'm gonna give you some news now that may be breaking to some. There are a lot of athletes that don't wear a helmet on college campuses that wake up at really, really early hours, too, and put in long days, too, and they still got to hit the books at night and they got cuts and bruises and they got family issues and mental health issues. They got all of it, too. They work really hard and no one knows about it. Why? It's not that they are any less. It's just that for whatever reason, our society has decided football is the most entertaining product. That's what we'll gather around a television by the millions and in venues by the thousands to watch. Therefore, you have value as a college football player and as a college football coach but never forget that that's not a constant that's a variable i put out a poll about an hour ago on twitter i just asked uh how do you feel about college football right now direction of college football you happy unhappy it was a it was three to one i think unhappy to happy now you may say that's not scientific i guarantee you there are four more people unhappy with the direction of the sport right now than are happy that doesn't mean there can't be change that doesn't mean that mood can't be altered. But right now you've got a mass consensus from the folks that are critical to maintaining your value as a sport, collectively, much less just individual players and coaches that are telling you, we don't like it. So you can either look at them and you can laugh. You can say, deal with it. Tough. This is just the way it is. And expect that they can't say anything in return. Or you can understand those people have options. They've never had more options, actually, in terms of entertainment than they do right now. NASCAR learned this lesson the hardest way imaginable. Pro wrestling learned this lesson the hardest way imaginable. College football is not immune to learning the same lesson. People love you. I love college football. Uh, the, The thousands of people who watch this show, the millions that watch those games per week, they love college football. Not all of them need it. They may, in a roundabout way, tell you they do you are going to either adjust the current direction of the sport or you're going to find out the hard way, like others before you, that constant that we assumed was actually a variable. And all of a sudden, those numbers look to be dwindling just a little bit. And then the next year, a little bit further, and then the next year, a little bit further after that, here is the problem. By then, it's too late. You lose them, they don't come back. They don't come back. You can do all kinds of data and analysis you want to on it they don't come back. In modern media, you lose them, you lost them for good. So let me give you a final thought. And I just want you to think on this one. Because right now there's a lot of stuff happening in college football that if you would have even said it three years ago, would have sounded crazy. And what that leads someone like me to think about is in the future, what's gonna be happening three years from now that today sounds crazy. So one of you, Sean, Sent me this tweet today, and I don't really have an answer for you, but you're going to think it's crazy initially. I just want you to think on it for a second. Sean said, with power conferences being tied to certain TV networks, is there a future where they lose their image of impartiality and start giving NIL deals to boost their own teams, i.e. ESPN starts signing deals for SEC players now that they have the SEC rights starting in 2024? Now, that sounds crazy, right? Well, okay, it sure is. It absolutely is crazy. But we're currently in a no-parameter society of NIL. There are no guidelines. That's what Wild Wild West means. It wasn't just a mediocre movie in the 90s. It is the state of this sport right now. And so as more money arrives at the table, is that the most ludicrous thing? Given what has already long since happened with shoe companies and college and AAU basketball, Is it the craziest thing to think that with that amount of money and that much vested interest in maximizing viewership, the powers that be at those particular networks might not look and say, what can we do to make sure this product remains as pristine as possible and as high level as possible? This does not have to look like uh, some TV executive showing up at a high school and cutting a kid a check. It could be executed in many different ways. In Sean's example, Here's how I would envision that actually happening. I would envision networks and conferences collectively understanding that yeah, there's a lot of money on this table right now. And we do have a vested interest in this conference attracting the best talent in the country and maintaining that. So what if you get into a situation where you have conferences via back channel or whether you have conferences and television networks agreeing on a revenue distribution model that because you make more money than the other conferences can afford to pay out on average to players more than players in other conferences. Look, you can either do one of two things. You can either say, hey, that's the way it works. That's a free market. Or you can say, this is college football. It's not your nine to five job. Uh, This has always been a natural preserve of sorts within the realm of sports. If we were to leave this to free market principles, or if we were to have done that a long time ago, the sport would have eaten itself. Long time ago. So, what kind of checks and balances do you need in the sport to maintain the sport itself? Because there there are a lot of folks carrying that flag right now that are waving it in the name of NIL or waving it in the name of players' rights. And these are concepts that, in in and of themselves, I'm not opposed to at all. If you watch the show, you know that. But I also know this none of you are worth anything if no one's watching. That's where I'll leave that. So, you have to have some reasonable minds here that understand. Just because we're technically capable of doing this or that doesn't mean it's what's in the best interest of this sport, which has to remain at the forefront, because at the end of the day, if you don't have the sport as you've known it, you don't have any value. Who's going to realize that before it's too late? Hopefully several people who are equipped to actually enact change. All right, let's talk about actual football here. I appreciate all of you being tuned in. Let me send that in the live chat. Uh, We had a question about quarterback battles, so I wanted to dive into this a little bit Quarterback battles all across the country. We just came out of spring practice, had spring games, and we were talking, you and I, all throughout spring about some of these quarterback battles going on across the country. And so what I wanted to do is take a couple of minutes here and just recap where we're at right now. Because a lot of these quarterback battles are still ongoing. They are legitimate, authentic in nature, and they're going to play a large role in some of these conference races, maybe even playoff races. So let's start at LSU, and I'm just going to go around the whole country here. Miles Brennan, Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, going into spring practice, Brian Kelly's first in Baton Rouge. It was thought, I would say, by a mild consensus of people that Jaden Daniels, the Arizona State transfer, was the leader in the clubhouse. We didn't necessarily believe that on this show, but I think most people believe that. Coming out of spring, I don't think people believe that down there. He's just another player in a crowded quarterback room. He's got probably as good a shot as Miles Brennan or Garrett Nussmeyer. I'm going to give you my take on this. And it's just reiterating, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. If they played a football game tomorrow, I think Miles Brennan would be your starter. They don't. And so there's still a summer and then there's still fall. Jaden Daniels could make a move, but the guy at the bottom of your screen, if you're watching on YouTube, Garrett Nussmeyer, that's the guy that if I had to circle one from now until the fall that is poised to make the biggest move, it's Garrett Nussmeyer. Wouldn't stun me at all. Even if he doesn't start the season opener, if he's not your starter by, let's say, the first week in October. So our Cooper Pategna the other day put an over-under of two and a half total starting quarterbacks for LSU this year. I don't really know where I land on that. I just think Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be one of them. They open with Florida State. That's a Sunday night game. That's that game every year that makes us change the start time of late kick for the first Sunday of the season. So then they got Southern, Mississippi State, New Mexico. So that game at Auburn. That's a good barometer there. Who's starting at quarterback by the first Saturday in October for LSU? Let's head up the road to Clemson. This one has a lot of folks fascinated nationally. DJ Uyongalale, uh, woefully underdelivered last year, at least relative to the national expectation on him. Okay, well, he's back this year, clearly, true sophomore. And you got Kay Klubnik, a true freshman in his own right now, with five stars next to his name for Dabo Swinney's part in this the head coach there at clemson for all three of you unfamiliar he was pretty emphatic during the spring in saying dj's our guy dj's our quarterback he's given us no reason not to assume that he's our starting quarterback and then you watch the spring game granted it's just a spring game but then you listen to some intel out of clemson and what you saw in the spring game kind of echoes what you get intel wise out of clemson and that is hey dj Lost some weight. Good for him. I think he was like 260 last year, wants to ultimately play in the 230 to 235 range. Is that going to drastically improve his accuracy? Because if it's not, I don't care if he plays at 160, 260, or 560. He's got to be more accurate, got to be more decisive. And if he's not, you got a guy who probably has the opposite problem, probably a little too skinny right now in Cade Klubnick. But let's see what he can do over the summer. Let's see what he can do in the fall. Because you and I, we watched this last year and we, we went through Preview Magazine season, and we saw DJ Uyangalele's face on top of everything, and we saw his name atop even some Heisman lists as a true freshman. Well, obviously, that never came to fruition, but we're about to go through the same thing. Maybe not quite to that degree, but we're about to go through a four-month stretch where you don't have any football happening. You don't even have practices happening. And so all folks have time to do is sit around and talk. So folks are going to work themselves up into a lather of defending one position or the other. The first half of their game against Georgia Tech in week one will be worth infinitely more than the next four months will. So try not to change your opinion a whole lot, is what I'm saying. If, you've already, if you're already on the fence about this, you ought to be on the fence by week one, absent some uh, revelatory press conference from Dabo Swinney in mid-August where he says, "Uh, oh, he's seen the light, and so I, he's our guy now. Forget it, Cade, we're gonna redshirt you. Absent that happening, just, just be loose. Just stay nimble on this thing. Because what if they go into the half and it's 10-3 to 3 Georgia Tech there in Atlanta on a, what is that, a Monday night to start the season? And DJ started the game. I mean, how quickly will that drumbeat grow to find out what that true freshman, Kay Klubnick, has? I don't think there's any leader in this clubhouse nearly to the degree even that the head coach of Clemson claims there is. So rarely do I disagree with a coach on his own personnel I just think it's a little murkier than that. Texas A&M, Haynes King's in this thing. He was injured last year, he's back now. Also Max Johnson, the LSU transfer, the Southpaw, he's in this thing now. Connor Wiegman is the true freshman who looked really good in spring, and he is. It wasn't an illusion, he is really good. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm not spending a lot of time talking about him on this particular show this evening, because I do not think ultimately he will factor into the race for who starts the season at quarterback. That's what we're talking about, who starts the season at quarterback. Ultimately, he's gonna be the guy there. But right now, I think it'll boil down to a Haynes King, Max Johnson race. Now, as it pertains to those two names, your guess is as good as mine. I had a feel going into the spring, I thought Haynes King was probably going to establish himself. He still got time, he did not do that in the spring and the limited sample size we had on a very windy day out in College Station in that spring game, I liked what I saw from Max Johnson a little bit better. And keep in mind, Max Johnson's new there, so it's a new system for him. He's still ingesting a lot, whereas Haynes King's been there a couple of years. So anytime you got a new guy who is comparable to the incumbent or the established guy, you start to ask yourself, okay, well now with summer seven-on-sevens and four weeks of fall camp for Max Johnson, what could he ultimately be? If I had to lean, and I have no lean, but it would be ever so slightly to Max Johnson right now, that's going to change a lot because I can tell you I'm very much on the fence on this one. And I think Jimbo Fisher is too. It's not a bad thing because I'm pretty sure they believe they can win with either one of those guys. So that's not a bad thing. We're going to talk about a situation that is antithetical to that in a few minutes, but it's not the worst place to be in the world. What about Oregon? This is one where spring didn't deliver what I thought it would either. Bo Nix, Ty Thompson, Ty Thompson, And I'm going to throw Jay Butterfield in there, too. I know, Jesse, I didn't tell you to put it on the graphic, but I'll tell you why I'm putting Butterfield in there. If you listen to our guys at Duck Territory, which is the Oregon 24-7 sports site, they're kind of saying the same thing that my eyes saw just watching the spring game. They cover the team on a day-to-day basis, but we're both singing the same tune. This is not even a race right now. Absent injury, that's Bo Nix's job at Oregon. The question now becomes, well, how about this race for the number two spot? Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, like who's going to be that backup quarterback? And that is not what I expected going into spring. Going into spring, I expected good for Bo Nix, change of scenery may do him good, but he's got a fight on his hands up there. Uh, That starting job's not just going to be given to him, and I'm not claiming it was given to him. I'm just telling you, he went in there and won it, and it doesn't really feel like there was nearly the pushback that I thought there may be from Ty Thompson. So it really doesn't behoove us to spend a great deal of time on it. Like I said, outside of injury, I don't really see something happening between now and their week one game where Bo Nix is not their starter. Now, Nix came from Auburn, and at Auburn, this is a little bit of a mess right now in that quarterback room. There was no real separation in the spring. However, unlike some of these other places where it's ultra competitive with maybe multiple guys who a staff feels they can go into battle with, If that Auburn staff were honest with you, I don't know that they're confident with any of these guys right now. TJ Finley started for him at times last year, uh, very mixed results. Zach Calzada's come in there in the transfer portal from Texas A&M, didn't participate in the spring. He's still rehabbing from a shoulder injury. I think that he suffered against Auburn last year. Uh, You got Robbie Ashford, who is a transfer from Oregon, who probably, if you watch the Auburn spring game, probably looked about as good as any of them. Uh, this is not an LSU situation. This is not a Texas A&M situation. At those places in the SEC West, you look and you say, well, I don't know who it's going to be, but whoever it's going to be, I think they're going to be able to win with him. You're looking at the graphic here if you're watching on YouTube. Ashford, he he had a nice little spark towards the end of spring, but he transferred out of Oregon for a reason. He could not crack that starting rotation up there. Uh, Zach Calzada, last year, hey, he beat Alabama, but also got hurt, and it's a new system for him too now and so you don't really know what you're going to have in him and tj finley wildly inconsistent last year you talk to people around auburn days flat out don't feel like finley's going to be the guy yeah if he is the guy they don't feel like there's a very high ceiling for the season that's the feedback i get from auburn so uh, there's this other little nugget of the fact that they got to play penn state lsu georgia Ole miss arkansas texas a m and alabama all in the same year have fun with that brian harson that's why the over under win totals for auburn are floating right around bowl eligibility uh, it's it's a tough schedule, and then you combine it with the fact that there are big time questions at the quarterback position, and those did not get answered very much in spring. I also wanted to check in on North Carolina because, well, I love North Carolina. Drake May, Jacoby Criswell. Now, if you're not following North Carolina football, you uh, you probably have a perception of this team, and it was earned. They they underdelivered last year relative to what I and many other people thought they were capable of. Okay. Does that always carry over? No, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. 2021 spooked a whole lot of people with North Carolina. So I think what the vast majority of the college casual public is thinking about North Carolina is, well, they won seven games last year with Sam Howell. Now they don't have him, he's off to the NFL. Okay, well, what if I told you, I think they'll be better this year without Sam Howell. And what if I told you that staff probably, and there's no probably, that staff believes In Drake May and Jacoby Criswell. They certainly liked the energy they had on the team, in the spring at least, a lot more than they had last year. Mac Brown was not shy about talking about that. Drake May, a lot of you, if you follow recruiting, remember he was committed to Bama at one point. He decommitted, and he's been up there. He's not a true freshman. He was up there last year. So he came in with a lot of highly ranked recruits. A lot of those guys have a year's more seasoning on them, and I'm not just thinking offensive guys either. But also, I think this is a situation where their coaching staff is looking and saying, we have no clue. We could not make a call right now, but we think we can win with either one of them. Different skill sets. Not, not you know, They're not mirror images of each other, but there's nothing definitive there. I just think that that's a situation where both of them can win for you. And they have, as an opening three-game stretch to their schedule, Florida A&M, at App State, I can't believe you people keep scheduling that. And at Georgia State, before they, well, they have Notre Dame, and then they get into conference play. Uh, there, ha- there are tougher three-week stretches out there than that. I'll just say that. So it's, it's a prime position to be a dark horse and be under the radar. That is an update, as we sit here today in May, of the quarterback situations all across college football. Believe it or not, I still have, what do we have, one, two, I don't even know that we're halfway through the show. This is insane. It's May. Don't ever let them tell you, don't ever even let people speak the O word around you. Off season, don't let them, don't let them even get the whole word out of their mouths before you just press that index finger against their lips. Because there is none of that. Look at how much we have to talk about. Okay, I asked you three weeks ago, boldest takes you have that you'd bet money on for this college football season. And we're on part four now. We had so many submissions, we could not get them all in in three shows. As one of you said the other night, when the paper clicks, you know it gets serious. First up, I thought this one was a little ridiculous, but you know what? That's why it's called boldness. Bama has, at minimum, six guys with at least 500-plus receiving yards. On a 1 to 10 boldness scale, I put this at a 9. Okay, this is not going to happen. You can go back and look at some of the most loaded receiver stables Bama has had. This is not the way it works out. Eventually, you will have one or two horses emerge, and those guys could crack 1,500 yards for you, but it'll be a good season. I, I'm, I'm stressing it a little bit, but those guys can crack 1,000 yards for you. Having five of them, minimum, those were your words, not mine, crack the 500-yard mark, though. Uh, we saw Jamison Williams and John Meche go down last year. Did it look like there was just a ready, willing, and able stable of guys behind them that were all ready to be dependable to that degree? Ajay Hall left, and so, yeah, you brought in Jermaine Burton. Have no doubts about him. Uh, they just brought in Harold, the wide receiver from Louisville. Can run like a three nine forty. I have no doubt about him, really. I think he'll fit in there very well. Ja'Cory Brooks. That's a guy I think is going to be very dependable. But outside of that, okay, we just got three-fifths of the way there. JoJo Earl, I like him. He's got a lot of promise. It's not proven. Christian Leary, not proven. Um, You know, Ty Jones Bell, never really knew how to pronounce his first name. Treshawn Holden, those are dependable guys. Those are the kind of guys that any given Saturday, you turn on the highlights at the end of the day, and you see Alabama just beat Mississippi State, and Christian Leary had six catches for 111 yards. And you say, good for Christian Leary. Is it week-to-week production? Or was it the fact that for whatever reason, oh, they did a pretty decent job of, of containing Jermaine Burton. But because of that, because of all that attention, Christian Leary sprung several leaks. Those kind of games happen. But a 500 yard receiving season sounds easy. Just five football fields, yeah, that's all it is. That's all it is. Until you got 11 guys standing between you and the next yard, then you realize. It's a lot harder, even with the Heisman Trophy trophy winner throwing to you. It's a lot harder than it looks. So I think that's a little too bold for my taste. Next up, Georgia, who just beat Alabama in the title game. How about Space Gator? And I'm assuming total unbiased take here. Georgia will not repeat. They won't even make the playoff. Georgia not making the playoff is only a five on the boldness scale to me. Don't try to find the loss, though, on the schedule. Like, I'm, I don't think it's the boldest thing in the world to say they're not going to make the playoff. But at the same time, I'm not about to tell you, and it's because they're going to lose to this team or this team or this team. That's not the way this stuff works, okay? Speaking of Alabama, two years ago, they had what I think is Nick Saban's best team in 2020. It was the COVID year. It was weird. They played all SEC schedule. Uh, they just completely splattered everyone, including Ohio State in the national title game. Well, then last year, the follow-up year, they lost a bunch of talent like Georgia just did. Where did they lose? They lost as a three-touchdown favorite. No one saw that coming. So my point is, when you look at Georgia's schedule, no one's predicting them to lose to Oregon. No, one, no, I'll tell you where Georgia's Texas A&M landmine on here would be. It'd be like at South Carolina or at Missouri. Like That's where they'll be favored by 21, 24 points, and you won't even have it circled. We probably won't even do a preview for the game, and then all of a sudden Georgia loses. And you're like, how could that happen? Well, it's sports, it's college football, consequences of success. It's having a target on your back and having to replace your entire defense. Like crazier things have happened before. But because Georgia's gonna be favored in every game, and we're talking about them making the playoff here again, would they be in a situation where let's say if they go undefeated but lose the SEC title game like they did last year, they'd also still be able to get in. Because every year is unique. It just so happened last year, it was set up to where Georgia could afford to lose and still get in. That's not a guarantee every year. So because of those scenarios, and I know how this stuff tends to work, I'm going to give that only a five. That's not as bold as it sounds, even though you think they may have a soft schedule by SEC East standards. How about the next one? I don't know that we've done a segment on Maryland in a while. Maryland will be next year's pit, meaning a top 15 team, Talia Tonga-Bailoa will be a Heisman finalist. Uh, This is a nine on the boldness scale, and I'm going to tell you why. Some of you let yourselves fall asleep on conference realignment, and you still hear Maryland, and you think ACC. Well, friends, they're not in the ACC. So while you may be thinking, oh, maybe they'll go yawn their way through wins at duke and maybe they'll get by wake forest and syracuse uh-uh. no 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 that's not what has to happen here they got to play at michigan and then michigan state back to back and then a little bit later in the year they got a nice three-week stretch that takes them to wisconsin to penn state and then ohio state does anyone in the room i'm looking around i don't see any nodding heads does anyone think that maryland is about to do what pitt did last year let me remind you. Pitt didn't just have a nice, solid pat him on the head season. They won the ACC. So Mike Loxley and company, they're going to weave their way through that treacherous Big Ten slate and go to Indianapolis and win the Big Ten? Well, if they do that, I will say the second part of that is very reasonable, thinking that Tua's little brother could be a Heisman Trophy finalist. Certainly, I don't see any way they do it without him performing at a high level. This is also a bridge a little bit too far for me. So I put this one at a nine on the boldness scale. However, I would love to see it happen. I have long searched for a reason to talk about Maryland more on the program. Believe it or not, there are a lot of folks who live in that portion of the country who probably don't think they have much of a reason to watch the show right now. If you are watching in the DMV, thank you for being tuned in. Hendon Hooker. Remember him? Well, he's still around in Knoxville. Doreena put us a hashtag out here, Hooker for Heisman. And I can only imagine what a lacrosse fan thinks that means. But Hooker for Heisman will actually be a thing this year. That is her bold prediction. This is a four to me. I don't think it's that bold at all. Hendon Hooker was well on his way to establishing himself in that vein last year. I mean, he wasn't Bryce Young, who ultimately won the award. But he was fourth in yards per completion in FBS last year. Of course, he had the 31-3 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. Had 600 yards on the ground to boot, so you got the dual threat capability there. Here's what would have to happen for Hendon Hooker to be a Heisman Trophy finalist. They would have to probably start off 4-0, which is doable. They got a trip to Pitt, and they got a home date against Florida. Those are two games where they, they may be slight dogs, but they won't be overwhelming underdogs. If they can win those two games, they go to LSU at 4-0. From that point, you've got a lot more attention on the program than you would have had, and thus a lot more attention on Hendon Hooker, who if you're 4-0 has probably played pretty well. Then what they have to do is they have to go 9-3 or better for the season. And in the games they lose, it better be to Alabama and, and Georgia, teams like that, and they have to shine in trail mode. Meaning if they're trailing Alabama, 34-17, to Hendon Hooker needs to be throwing the ball in catch-up mode and they need to be putting up big statistical numbers even if they lose the game. Because at the end of the year, you know as well as I do, it's just a stat award. No one really compartmentalizes or contextualizes, well, yeah, he had a lot of passing yards, but what if I told you 38% of them came in garbage time? They don't even dive that. You know who votes on this stuff. So if they go 9-3 and three or better, because the team's got to be a certain level of good, and Hendon Hooker shines in catch-up mode, In the games they're trailing and they start 4-0 to get the early national attention yes he could be a heisman trophy finalist he's in the right offense he's playing for the right guy next up cincinnati will go undefeated that is michael's bold prediction this is a nine i have gone virtually bold across the board tonight uh, to a degree that i'm not willing to travel with you michael i don't think this is happening probably the most underrated story from the draft this past weekend and lost amongst all the noise of texas didn't have anyone drafted and believe me i'm about to get to that to georgia had like uh, half of athens clark county drafted well you had cincinnati this is incredible cincinnati just put nine guys into the nfl draft that's the third most among college football programs not just g5s (laughs) college football programs Think about that accomplishment. I mean, Luke Fickle, like they're not quite going to build a statue of him for this. But that is like a hats off, solid 30-second round of applause type deal for him and for that staff there. They had more guys drafted than Bama, Michigan, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. That's great. But now, as it pertains to this bold prediction that they're going to go undefeated again, now what are we doing without Desmond Ritter and their top two corners? and replacing nine NFL caliber players. They open at Arkansas, so it's not the easiest schedule. It's hard to go undefeated even with last year's guys. That wasn't the easiest thing to do with those guys. Without them, you just play your normal conference schedule. There's probably a hiccup or two in there. there will be a healthy underdog of a touchdown or more on the road at Arkansas in week one, but also it's not the talent that that staff will struggle to replace. I can promise you, if Luke Fickle were sitting next to me right now and he had to be honest, he'd tell you, we're pretty good at developing talent and we've got pretty good depth here. I mean, we may not be as talented and as capable game in, game out as we were last year, that's a really good team, but that's not what we're worried about. The leadership, it's replacing the intangibles, chief among them leadership, that's what we can't know. I, those guys probably ran that team last year. It's the coach's team, but ultimately the best teams, it becomes the player's team because the players can police themselves. Uh, The players take accountability of the program. You have nine of those cats walk out the door. It's not just next man up. It is, but it isn't, and automatically get the same level of production you just had. So that's a nine for me. Um, I I mean, listen, if they they win nine games this year, it'd be a good follow-up year. I think a lot of people would label it a disappointment, nine ten wins like that's a really good year especially when you open with arkansas all right let's move it on let's keep a a nice brisk pace here we had some q a because i told you at like 10 a.m i had some time for it so we're giving you time for q a you you did not disappoint me i can promise you that all right let's dive in what was what was the first one we rolled with here daniel asked we're watching you from Asheville, alabama thank you Asheville. he said I'm going to say Miami, Oklahoma, USC, and Texas combined for under 32 wins this year. Of course, we're talking regular season. So my big question to you, Sooners, Canes, Trojans, Longhorns, can we average eight wins? Can we get us a push here? These are new staffs. Uh, They have depth issues in several places, obviously. Target on all the backs. Don't get drunk on overs. Everyone bets overs. No one ever loves to bet unders. Most unpopular bet in preseason culture. So understand that no one's depth chart is going to remain looking exactly like it does and not everything's going to work out eventually your uniform gets dirty and your left tackle goes down with a season-ending patella injury hate to see it but it's going to happen to everyone so there are going to be some bumps along the road okay we don't have to be perfect here can we just average eight wins amongst these four teams here's a reason to be confident quarterback play first and foremost Dylan Gabriel, the transfer, he's in there at Oklahoma. Tyler Van Dyke could be a fringe Heisman contender, for all we know, at Miami. You've also got Caleb Williams, famously, has transferred from Oklahoma to USC. And then also Quinn Ewers, I think, will end up being the starting quarterback pretty definitively. In Austin, Texas, none of these teams are in the SEC, and none of these teams are in the Big Ten. So the two toughest conference slates that any team could draw, all four of these teams avoid them. So what are we left with? Well, producer Jesse went into his stats and info chamber and he came out and gave me what he feels are the toughest games for all four of these teams. So I want you to listen to this list right quick. And then I want to give you a caveat at the end to make you think the over is probably the right pick here. Remember it's Oklahoma, it's Texas, it's USC, it's Miami over or under 32 wins this year combined. USC, Plays at Utah, at Stanford, at UCLA, at Notre Dame. Probably the four toughest games for the Trojans. Oklahoma, they play uh, Texas, of course, in Red River. They go to Baylor, they got Oklahoma State. Texas plays Bama in week two. They play Oklahoma in Dallas. They go to Oklahoma State, and they got Baylor. And then Miami, they play at AM. That's down a, to conference game, obviously. They got North Carolina at home, at Clemson, and Pitt. Here's the point they could lose every one of those games. And still, the number is 33. Of course, you have Oklahoma, Texas there, so one of them has to win that game. So they could lose every one of those games I just listed. And still, if we just avoid total disaster, and there will probably be some games there won, obviously, it's not going to be total worst case, I think the over is the pick here. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, listen, out of Mario being brand new and Lincoln Riley being brand new and, and Sark, not even making a bowl game last year, and Brent Venables is brand new. It all sounds good, but you know good and well someone's gonna drop like a six-win clunker on you. That could happen. What I'm telling you on the other side of the mathematical fence is, I think it's just as likely one of these teams finds their way to 10 wins as it is someone merely finds their way to six wins. So yes, I think we can average eight wins here. I do think the over is the answer, but in typical fashion, I welcome your comments in the comment section because I think there's going to be some strong under energy here. I think a lot of you just despise these programs, and I don't blame you. It's part of what makes a sport great. Give me reasons why. Give me substantive reasons. Don't just tell me under and then reason. They suck. Give me a little bit more than that, please. Thank you. Next up, you probably thought that we were going to uh, finish the show without talking about this, uh, but I am really not that nice a person. Nor is No Huddle Podcast. Colin, here's your end point. No Huddle Podcast, hit us up. How is it possible Texas continues to struggle? Struggle? I'm struggling to walk today because I've got a mildly uh, pulled groin muscle. Texas is doing something a whole lot more than struggling. How is it possible Texas continues to struggle to send kids to the NFL? They have everything a powerhouse needs except culture. Mitch from Scottsdale, Arizona. Well, Mitch, you said a lot when you said except for culture. I need to have a word with some of you. Because some of you are in a couple of camps, and you can't be in two camps at the same time. Okay, some of you out there are in the camp of, well, Texas has had all this talent, and they still haven't done anything with it. True, I happen to be in that camp. Then some of you are in another camp, and that is, well, anyone could win if you got the kind of talent that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart have. You can be in one of those camps, you cannot be in both of them. Do you, you see the issue here? If you don't, you can't watch one program acquire tons of talent, I'll show you exactly how talented they've been in a second, and watch them lack what Alabama and Georgia have and fall flat on their face, I mean, in spectacular fashion, and then still look at Tuscaloosa and Athens and say, oh, anyone could do that. No, no, it's really hard. Even when you have all the best players, it's still not easy to do what those cats do. So let's be real. This has been a disaster. This has been an unmitigated disaster. How bad has it been? Here are the TVMA numbers to back it up. The Texas Longhorns, players drafted by year, starting in 2016, 1. 2017, 1. 2018, 4. 2019, 2. 2020, 3. 2021, 5. And a big fat goose egg for 2022. I had stats and info run the numbers. That is 16 total players drafted since 2016. Georgia, by comparison, just sent 15 in this draft alone. So that's where the two programs stand respectively. It's not done, it gets even more violent. Texas had top five recruiting classes in 2018 and 2019. They had a top 10 class in 2020. That is the crop of players that we're essentially talking about here going undrafted. Seven other colleges had at least one player drafted. Now, I left one thing out there because I want to go back and re emphasize it. You heard me say seven other colleges had at least one player drafted. What I meant to say is, seven other colleges in the state of Texas had at least one player drafted. It's the fourth time since 2014 with zero or one players being drafted. Uh, 1938, 2014, 2022, those are the years with the goose egg in the draft column. <sighs> it kind of hurts to say this cause like I want Texas to be good, but there's only one way to fix this. And it's just to rip the bandaid off and to understand what the problems are. And lastly, but not leastly, if you really want me to just shove the dagger in a little bit further, these are programs with more draft picks than Texas this last year. Air Force, good for the Falcons. Fayetteville State, we had to look up the mascot, the Bronco, I believe. Uh, Don't mess with them, though, apparently. Fordham, Kansas, Missouri State, Samford, Southern Utah, Valdosta State, and Yale. We got to fix things in Austin hopefully steve sarkeesian is well on his way to doing that but back to the question at hand how is it possible with all that talent walking in the door well it's the exact same as if you go buy all the groceries in the world but then tear the start knob off your oven doesn't really matter what you have in the fridge if you have no means to make the meal you don't get the finished product everyone just goes hungry so we've had all the groceries in the world and we haven't had anyone out there capable of making the meal And you may think to yourself, oh sure, okay, metaphors notwithstanding, if you recruit at a certain level, you'll just accidentally put some kids in the draft, won't you? No, no. I'll I'll be at the airport early in the morning, for example, and if I get on that airplane, doesn't matter if all 180 seats are filled. If the pilot doesn't show up, if someone doesn't show up capable of getting that thing off the ground, you don't just look around the cabin and say, okay, the pilot's not here, but like it's how hard can it be? You got wings on this thing. You just hit the gas, you pull the stick back, plane takes off. Nope, nope, it really is that difficult. Even with everything else in place, you've gotta have the culture. You've gotta have structure, first off, and you gotta have development. And if you don't have them, it can be this disastrous. It really can. So if you can, if you can believe it, yeah, Texas just went over in the draft. But I do think about this a lot. When I see stuff like this happen, I don't think this, I mean, this is obviously gonna be rectified to some extent starting next year. So I I kid around a little bit. I don't like Texas in this state. But you know, there are a lot of folks out there who say, it doesn't matter where you commit to out of high school because if you can play, the NFL will find you. And I've always thought that is the biggest load of BS anyone could ever feed you. Oh, it's true that if your raw talent and God-given ability is at a certain level, the NFL probably will find you. It makes all the difference in the world where you go to college, because it makes all the difference in the world where you go in terms of the folks who have your fate in their hands. There's a lot you don't control. You don't ultimately control everything about your development and placement and utilization. There's a lot about the culture of a college football program. You need to be right. that is beyond your ability to control. It matters a lot. So you may you may have five-star talent. And then we got an A-B scenario here. You go to program A, you end up being a first-round draft pick. You go to program B, you end up being a a borderline seventh-round draft pick. Okay, well, the NFL found you in both instances. You were right. You made life-changing money down path A. Hopefully you get to your second contract and make life-changing money down path B. It makes all the difference in the world. So what are we saying here? Are we saying that all these kids that just went to Texas with a lot of stars next to their name and a lot of other major programs wanted them. They go undrafted. You tell me, oh, they just would have been undrafted no matter where they went. No, they wouldn't. Some of them, maybe, not all of them. They went to the wrong program. As it turns out, Texas was not equipped to develop them. I'm not speaking about Texas today moving forward, speaking about Texas in the rearview mirror. So it takes more than just you. Unless you are a transcendently great player, it takes more than just you. So be very careful and use the right criteria when you're choosing that college destination. If you wanna commit, by the way, on the program, we'll be happy to have you. Uh, Another question here that I I got pretty emotionally charged about today. Grilled cheese fan, who I respect already for obvious reasons, hit me up and said, who are your top five coaches, 45 years old or younger? Checking in from Walla Walla, Washington. I love grilled cheese, I love alliteration, And I love the Pate State hashtag there. I got five of them for you since you asked for five. Dave Aranda is my number one. The rest of these aren't really in a one through five order. Dave Aranda is my number one coach in the country, 45 years old or younger. My experience, as I've spoken about many times on the show at the Oklahoma Baylor game, where we got some one-on-one time with him this last year, really opened my eyes to Dave Aranda. I would strongly encourage you guys to go find Andy Staples' podcast, friend of the program, from last week, I think it was last Monday, he had Aranda on, probably spoke for about 30 minutes with him. Dave Aranda's just different, man. He's got sky-high football IQ, but man, he's got an authenticity about himself. He's very cerebral, uh, psychologically, different level. I think he said he studied it in college, leadership skills, but man, Dave Aranda, whereas other guys may talk about X's and or recruiting, he's talking at length about the hierarchy of competence and how he got to a level after year one at Baylor. A lot of people have been criticizing him because his his offense was terrible and he was punting in situations he obviously should not have been punting in. And he talked about conscious incompetence, which is like the second level, or as Dave Aranda would call it, the pit on the hierarchy of competence. And that is the level you get to in life where you go from not knowing you don't know to knowing you don't know. And he said that was a nightmare to be a head coach. Now, I'm not a coordinator where I got a little compartment I live in. I'm the head coach of this program, and I'm looking around after year one. I just hired all these people. They, they moved their families here, and I realize I obviously hired the wrong folks, but I don't immediately know which way to go, and he had to seek advice, and he had to listen to a lot of people. He scratched the surface, and that's it as to what he's capable of. Dave Aranda is going to be a star head coach for a long time. That's my number one. I think he's right at 45 years old, so it was very... It was very convenient that we put that where we did. But Dave Aranda's my number one. Four more of them. You can put these pretty much in any order you want to because I can make a case for all of them. Ryan Day is 43 years old, head coach at Ohio State. He is 34 and four in his career so far. I did not know this. I was looking up some research on him today. Ohio State, what was it? They've hired, they have not hired a head coach without head coaching experience since the 40s. Just to give you an idea of how unprecedented it was that Ryan Day was catapulted into the catbird seat there. He knows the quarterback position, handles the quarterbacks there, obviously. Very, very elite recruiter. But what impressed me so much, aside from the fact that he was able to be the guy when they could have had anyone, is he knew the score from day one. Like at the time, Ohio State, as they are now, was perennially the favorite in the Big Ten. But he immediately, there was no feeling out process. He knew we're not just competing with Michigan or with Penn State. It's it's a tough chore every year. Obviously, last year they lost to Michigan. But he stepped in and understood immediately, it doesn't matter if we've got the best recruiting class in the Big Ten by a mile. It doesn't matter if we skull drag everyone up here by five touchdowns. We are competing with Alabama. That's who we're competing against. And I don't care if we don't draw them in the regular season. We are going to run up against that program. And that's how they've gone about their business. They did run up against Alabama once so far in a national title game. They weren't good enough. And so they went right back to work. And then last year, you watched him realize early on, my defense is not good enough. So he made some moves as much as he could in the season, Uh, got Jim Knowles after the season. Ryan Day, likewise, probably still just scratching the surface as to what he's capable of. Billy Napier is the new head coach at Florida. Billy Napier, 42 years old. He was 40 and 12 in four seasons at Louisiana. Did it pretty quietly. He's not very flamboyant. You know, he doesn't draw a lot of headlines for the wrong reasons. And same time he was getting hired at Florida, you had a lot of drama. You had the Brian Kelly stuff. You had the Lincoln Riley stuff. So it was very quiet. This is a guy who absolutely half a decade from now could be the show stealer. He could be the headline grabber from that past hiring cycle. Infinitely bigger headlines around other guys. But Napier being 40 and 12 at Louisiana is dismissed by some people. It shouldn't be. You need to understand about the level of production versus the level of competition. At Louisiana, there was no discernible advantage he had relative to the rest of the conference. I.e., Chris Peterson at Boise a while back. Peterson was just running rough shot over the conference, and he was doing it in rural Idaho. And truth be told, he should have been at a disadvantage because of geography. And yet, with equal resources, he was smoking everyone. Billy Napier had equal resources. At Louisiana, relative to the rest of the Sun Belt, and uh, ran all over everyone. And why does that matter at Florida? Well, you don't look at it as if to say his Louisiana teams would never win the SEC East. No, they probably wouldn't, man. He's not taking that team to Gainesville. He will have a team that is capable of competing in the SEC East. And so, again, all resources are going to be comparable. In fact, he'll probably have an advantage more so than he did at Louisiana. He's already shown you he can recruit. He can develop. He's plus in both of those areas. He is a supremely good evaluator and developer. Anytime you ever talk behind the scenes about Billy Napier, all the way back to his days in, as an assistant coach, that's the two characteristics folks point out. So he's plus in a lot of areas. He's already proven to you he can do it. It's not, it's not an up and coming hotshot coordinator. So I really like the future of Florida football under Billy Napier. Lincoln Riley is in here. You probably are not indifferent on this man anymore. Everyone has an opinion. Uh, you either love him or you hate him well here's what i know he's 38 years old and in five years at oklahoma he won four big 12 titles and went to the playoff three times you can downgrade him all you want to that is what we call a proven resume those are proven results now he's going to the pac-12 so it's not a prediction segment i'm just telling you he acquired talent he maximized it multiple heisman type guys at quarterback and so that's the package that's the blueprint that he's taken out to southern california I, yeah, I will never know, but I'm kind of interested if they would have played the whole Alex Grinch defensive overhaul thing out for three or four more years. I wonder where he was headed at Oklahoma. We'll still see it, obviously. They're still going to still gonna be able to do that at USC, but I just wonder what direction they were headed. Anyway, can't worry about that because that's in the past. But Lincoln Riley's there, age 38, so he's younger than all these guys and already got a more impressive resume than all of them, truth be told. Uh, lastly is my guy, Matt Campbell, at Iowa State. He's 42. Now the headline that you're probably going to see a lot about him is, oh, his stock has cooled off a little bit since they only went 7-6 and six last year. No, his stock is actually red hot because he's so good, he's tricked you into believing a 7-win season is a down season in Ames, Iowa. Do you want to do yourself a favor, go type in Iowa State football on Wikipedia. It can't lie to you about this, it's just numbers. Uh, And check out what Iowa State football was before Matt Campbell got there. Do you remember what seven and six would have meant before he got there? And now what it means is, ugh, well, better luck next year. No, seven and six is ticker tape parade material in the pre-Matt Campbell era. I'm interested to see them this year. Because we get to see him. We get to see Matt Campbell lose a quarterback and, and lose some talent. We'll see how they replenish the roster there. He's the three-time Big 12 coach of the year. He's always got them challenging or pulling outright upsets against teams that history says they have no business competing against. So Matt Campbell's there. Dave Aranda, Ryan Day, Billy Napier, Lincoln Riley, Matt Campbell. Those are my five head coaches, 45 or younger, right now. Um, I have got... Well, I got a lot of you watching live, so I appreciate it. Hey, so I can't really tell you a whole lot. Uh, I will be able to in the future. Just know, as I've told you before, there are a whole lot of people watching the show in a whole lot of different capacities. Some are just fans. Some are high-level mustache executives. uh, Some are people from other companies. Like, there are all kinds of people watching the show. A, A lot of people in our industry watch the show. They all say the same thing. The connectivity that our audience has to the show the interaction, the influence, everything about the show is tailored to you. It's very impressive. They notice it. And so that's kind of validation. But my whole point is it can't happen without you. Our numbers are beyond insane right now. So I wait to the end of the show where I know all the diehards are tuned in and the casuals are tuned out. Thank you so much. Because if we're doing this in April and May, I think you can safely imagine what it's going to be like in August and September and October and beyond. We've still got to name our tour for this upcoming season. We'll get that done. Uh, I am headed to Oklahoma and Kansas tomorrow to Storm Chase. Be safe out there. If you see me, give me a little wave. May not have time to talk. Uh, But we will be back with you in podcast form only, audio podcast form only, for the Wednesday morning Late Kick Extra. We will be back here Thursday night for Late Kick Live. So we're kind of back on a normal schedule now. Until next time, have yourselves a great early start to the week. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at Josh. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for all our production executives, I'm Josh Payne. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless. It's the NFL offseason, but on pick six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Hosts Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Katie Mox, and RJ White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft or schedule release day, pick six has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, pick six is a must. Listen, download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.